good morning, RCC. Doesn't that make you want to go wash your hands? Like, it's like, ugh, I hate being in conversations like that. Uh, my name is Grace Strickland. I'm the lead pastor at Fairhope, and so I just want to say welcome to all our campuses that are tuning in. And I'm excited to be with you uh, for the next two weeks uh, unpacking this idea of the comparison trap. Uh, to get started, I just want to give you a definition so we can kind of get all on the same page of the comparison trap. And it's simply this, when I compare myself to someone else to see how I measure up. When I compare myself to someone else to see how I measure up. About a month ago, Dale Alexander introduced us to this mindset of, of the comparison trap. And for many of us, and I, I want you to go back in time with me, you can probably think back to a time when you were younger, when you first felt that nudge to look to the left or to look to the right to, to compare yourself to someone else. And, and I'll just kind of be honest with you this morning. For me, it was, it was that I was short, right? And I'm still short. God and I are still working through that. There's still some time. I don't know how it's going to work out, but maybe I'll get to six foot. Uh, but but I, growing up, I was short. Not only was I short, I was tiny. Like, I graduated high school weighing a buck 35. And, um, and, you know, most of your students weigh that in the ninth grade. And, um, and so for, for all through middle school and elementary school, I was quick, but I was still short. I, uh, I really... I, I just wanted to be taller, even just a little bit, so much so that uh, if you guys are familiar with Skilo, he wrote a theme song for me in the mid-90s, and, uh, and if you're 50 and older, uh, you need to go Google Skilo, and if you're 30 and younger, you need to go Google Skilo, but he's a rapper, and he had a song that said, I wish I was a little bit taller, and he goes on to say, I wish I was a baller, I wish I had a girl on the phone, I would call, you know, and, and I was like, man, that is, that is my life, I wish, come on, God, if I could just be, if I could be just a, a little bit taller, and then I had this other thing, and I, and I was debating on whether or not to share this, uh, as in like 10 minutes ago, um, but, but if you can tell, I've got freckles, and growing up, those were the worst. I mean, because everybody wanted to know, and then all of you, you elderly people, more experienced in life, you always had funny jokes like, you look like you swallowed a $5 bill and broke out in pennies. Ho, oh, her. You know, that's great. <laughs> you know, where'd you come up with that? And, um, and then, <laughs> oh, but God and I are working through that too. Uh, and then, and, and, I, and I would get attention from, from the ladies. It was just the wrong ladies. It was all the old ladies, the, the cheek pinchers. I, you know, you no know, offense, but when I'm 13, that's not what I'm after. And, um, and so, <laughs> Paul's not going to let me come back. Um, <laughs> Paul's in Pharaoh right now, and, and I've, I've got something for him a little bit later that he doesn't know about. Um, but we feel this need to compare. And then, then it, it shows up, this comparison trap, this idea, I compare myself to someone else to see how I measure up. It shows up in the most uh, ridiculous places. And like for me, a place I never expected to show up was at church camp. And uh, in middle school and high school, uh, most of the time, I grew up Baptist, we would go to this uh, camp on the on Mississippi Gulf Coast called GBA, Gulf Shore Baptist Assembly. And uh, if you can imagine, it's there on the beach, and there were like these apartment complexes with balconies, and out in front of those, in between the, the, the apartments and, and the, uh, the beach was this big grassy area, and all the kids, or all the students would go out there and play. And well, my, my buddies and I, we, we would always bring our baseball gloves, and, and bring like a football, and, and, and we didn't do this because we were really disciplined, and we wanted to be the best baseball players we could ever be, and so we couldn't take a day off, you know. Uh, even when we were learning about Jesus, we had to be practicing baseball. It wasn't anything like that. In fact, the only reason we did this 
is we thought this was our best chance to meet girls. Because here, here's how this works out. So the girls are all up on the balcony. Maybe they're out doing like a little Bible study. And we would be out there throwing the baseball. And the hope was, and you couldn't do it on purpose. It just had to happen naturally. You know, that a ball would get overthrown and you'd have to go break up a Bible study. Be like, excuse me, ladies, don't let my biceps distract you from your Bible study. Uh, and let me get this, you know. And, and, they, you know, and then you could possibly pick up a phone number. Uh, and, and before we go any further, two things. I have never said that statement to anyone. And the only phone number I've ever gotten is from my wife in the third grade, right? So, uh, like, I couldn't have fathom having to get a girl's phone number. But we would meet people and, uh, and meet ladies, and it, and it worked pretty well for us and, uh, until the sun went down. Because you can't really throw baseballs at night. I mean, you can, but it's not wise. And, and when the sun went down, this, this person would emerge, and he would come out on the pier or out on the beach. And, and then it was like, it was like, you know, moss to light. The, the, the ladies would just flock to him. And all of us that, you know, played sports, we're just sitting back and like, man, <laughs> I wish I was that guy. And you know who that guy was? He's probably the worship leader on all of our campuses. But he was the guy that showed up with a guitar and he could sing. And most of the time, most of the time, he had this incredible story that, about coming to know Christ that happened like two days prior. Like he was at a Guns N' Roses concert. Axl Rose was singing, knocking on heaven's door, and the Lord just spoke to him and just said, you know, come home, son. And, and, and you know, and so and we're sitting back, like we can't sing, we can't play guitar. You know, we've got this round thing that we can throw, and the, and the girls are just flocking to him. And then he's always, not only does he have his story, but he's, he's usually got tattoos and piercings. And I don't know if you know this, but in the mid-90s at a Baptist camp, if you had piercings and tattoos, you, you're like two feet from the pit of hell, right? And so, so he had this, this, this automatic, like, bad boy feel. And so all these good little Baptist girls just, you know, he's got long hair, think Kurt Cobain, and hadn't had a bath in four days, and, and was like, I don't, I don't get it, but I, I want to be that guy. And here's the thought I had on the way this morning. What are, what are the chances, what are the chances we could get Paul Smith to get a piercing? <laughs> wouldn't that be even, a, maybe like an RCC logo here on his chest, a tattoo, like wouldn't that... <laughs> Wouldn't that be awesome? I'm going to start a GoFundMe. Um, <laughs> I'm supposed to be back next week. I don't know. But the temptation to compare and to go, man, I wish I could be like that guy. You know, and then as I got older, again, it shows up in unexpected places. The least expected place was in ministry. When I started being a pastor, I started as a youth pastor and then becoming a lead pastor. And then I always felt this tendency to look to the left or to the right and look at some of my colleagues, to look at some of my friends and go, man, man, God, how come you're not doing that in my life? How come my church isn't growing like, like that church? Or, or how come, you know, I don't have that kind of influence? And, and, and it, it was so prevalent in my life, this, this need to compare this need to see if I measure up based on people that are in similar areas of, of life as me, then it would send me to dark places. It, it, it would require me to, to unfollow some dear friends on social media 
because I couldn't, I couldn't get out of this, this trap of needing to compare. And every time I would compare, I would end up in, in, a, in a dangerous and, and really a depressing place. And that place, that place is called the land of Ur. And this is what the land of Ur essentially is, is that there's always going to be somebody richer than you. There's always going to be somebody skinnier than you. There's always going to be somebody smarter than you. There's always going to be somebody taller, prettier, happier, hipper, talented, er. (laughs) Or any other adjective you want to think about yourself, there's always going to be somebody that's got a bigger er than you. And, And in our lives, we feel this tendency to compare either ourselves or our children, or our spouse, to other people's earth, hoping that one day we will have a bigger earth. Because when we begin to do this and operate in the land of earth, we begin to feel inferior. And God hasn't called us to live a life with this inferior mindset, with this beat-down mindset. He's talk, he talks about living a victorious life, a life of freedom. And when we're living in the land of earth and we feel inferior, the thing that we do to get out of that inferiority, we compare. Now, we don't go looking for bigger errs. We go looking for smaller errs. We go looking for people that are less than us. We identify them. And maybe even we do this. Those people that have bigger errs than us, we begin to secretly hope they fail professionally, relationally, financially, anyway. So they will become a a lesser than person. And then we move from inferiority to superiority, to feeling superior, to having this false sense of pride. And the pride is only gained because we're looking down on other people and and we're we're trying to see where we measure up. And any time we feel inferior, then we immediately have to find somebody that we feel superior to. And not only is the comparison trap a trap, it's a vicious cycle of we compare and we feel inferior. And because we feel inferior, we identify lesser than, so we feel superior. But here's the reality. The, the, the goal is not that we want to have a bigger er. The goal is, is that we want to have an est. We want to be the biggest. We want to be the smartest, the prettiest, the most talented. But living in the land of Ur. We can't be superior. We can't have an S for long before someone comes along and eclipses our S with a bigger er. And they fall back into this trap of feeling inferior. It's no place to live. Either one of these, God has not called us to that. In fact, I would even say this, there, there may be people in this room that you are in debt up to your eyeballs because you were looking at someone else's ur, and you got to the point that you were willing to spend money you didn't have to run a credit card so that you could have a bigger ur, only to find out that dadgummit, someone else came along and they trumped your ur. I, I would bet that there are some people in this room and on our campuses that you are, you are dieting yourself to death because you're comparing your God-given potential 
to someone else's God-given potential. And the reality is, is you're never going to look like that, and that is absolutely okay. But you're dieting yourself to death because you're looking at someone else's ur. And you're saying, I want to be skinnier, or I want to be stronger. For some of us, and for some people on our campuses, we're driving our kids crazy because we're comparing our children to someone else's children, their athletic ability or their academic ability or whatever it is, their, their musical ability, whatever they're involved in. And it's not that we, we say we want their best, but what we really want is we want our children to add up to someone else's children. And let me just tell you, if you're doing that, you are driving a wedge between you and your children because they feel it. This is why for some people, you're driving your spouse crazy because you're comparing your spouse to someone else's spouse under the facade of, I just want them to reach their potential. Instead, what we really mean is we want them to reach the potential of someone else's spouse. For some people, this whole comparison trap is why you ended up in divorce. It's because you looked at someone else's spouse long enough that you were willing to forfeit everything else just to, in your mind, upgrade to a bigger or prettier, or skinnier. And then here's the scariest thing of all about the comparison trap. Is living in the 21st century, we take all of that stuff that we just talked about, and you insert it into social media, and now we're not just comparing to our neighbors. Now we're comparing to people all over our states, all over the world, all over our country. And I love what Dale Alexander said a month ago. He said, we end up comparing our behind the scenes to other people's highlight reels. We look at what, because you know this, you don't go post the fight that you have with your spouse on Facebook, right? You don't go live stream that. Hey, y'all watch this. <laughs> Loving life. Or the teenager that came home and you guys butted heads. You had time, time out, time out. Let me start a live stream. Let me go Facebook Live real quick so we can show the world just how bad we don't have it or just how bad we are, are doing at this thing called life. And parenting. We, don't, we don't do that. So what we post are our highlight reels, but then we compare other people's highlight reels to our behind the scenes. And this leads to what my wife and I jokingly call uh, faking memories. Like, oh, everybody smile. And then you go back to fighting. For some of you, that might have been your trip in, into church, Right? <laughs> wearing each other out and you get in the door hey god bless you <laughs> but that's no way to live and, and here's the thing that's so true about the comparison trap it doesn't matter if if you're a christ follower i mean if you're here this morning because someone promised you lunch make them deliver but if that's why you're here th this message is for you. And what's true for me as a Christ follower is true for you if you're kicking the tires on, on faith in general. And it's simply this, is that there is absolutely no win in comparison. There, there's just no win in it. There, it, is a, it is a winless 
situation. And so this morning, we want to look, we're going to look at a guy named Solomon in a book that he wrote called Ecclesiastes, which Ecclesiastes is this fancy word for meaning a group of people gathered to hear teaching. So kind of what we're doing right now. And it's really not a book. We call it a book, but it's actually like a memoir. Because see, Solomon was the second king of Israel, and he he, more than any other king, more than any other ruler, had the opportunity to live at an est, like to be the richest and to be the best. And as he moves through life, he begins to document all that he's learned. The other thing the scriptures tell us about Solomon is that Solomon, outside of Jesus, was the wisest person to ever live. Now, now here's how he came about that. Not long after becoming king, after his dad was King David, and then Solomon took over, God comes to Solomon. And imagine if God did this to you, and imagine what your answer would be. He comes to Solomon in a dream and says, Solomon, I'm going to give you whatever you want. And Solomon, in just this moment of wisdom, before God's ever really given him any wisdom, recognizes, recognizes the great task and opportunity that he has in leading God's great nation. And because of his recognition of that, he says, God, I'm not going to ask for wealth. I'm not going to ask for influence or prosperity. And he even says, he's like, I'm not even going to ask for the death of my enemies. He said, just give me wisdom. Because, man, this is a daunting task that you, you have commissioned me to be the king of Israel, to be the king of Israel at its greatest time in history. There would, be, there would never be another time in Israel's history, like it was when King Solomon was reigning as king. And he says, God, give me wisdom. And God says, because you did the right thing, because you asked for the right thing, I'm going to give you prosperity, and I'm going to give you wealth. I'm going to give you influence. So much so that other kings and other queens would come to Solomon seeking his wisdom. And as Solomon lives this wise life, he begins to document his experiences as living at an est level. And that's where we're going to pick up. If you have a Bible, you can turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 4. If not, we'll have it on the screens. Solomon says this. He said, And I saw that all toil and achievement spring from one person's, this key word, envy, of another. So Solomon, looking back on his own life, looking down, if you will, like all the ants just hustling and doing their thing, he says, I look out there and I see that all the work and all the achievement is coming from this idea of envy, of looking to someone else, to my left and my right, saying, man, I want what they've got, so I'm going to go work harder, do more so that I can obtain that, and only to look back to your right and go, oh man, I want what they've got. And he says, so it's rooted in envy. And, and you may want to write this down, it, it, is envy is just counting other people's blessings. That's all it is, is we look, we, we, we neglect to look at what God has gifted us with, what God has blessed us with, and instead we're looking at everybody else's stuff. And Solomon says, here's the deal. I look out there and all of this toil and all this achievement, it's rooted in the comparison trap. It's rooted in envy. You could say it this way, or Solomon could have said it this way. I saw people determining where they are in life based on where everyone else was. I saw people determining where their children were in life, where their spouses were in life, based on, everywhere, on, based on where everyone else was. And we could push back and we go, okay, Solomon. So we're not supposed to achieve 
Like, what, what do we do? Do we, do we fold our hands and just, you know, let the chips fall where they may and we just go through life and say it is what it is? Like, how, how, do, we, how do we deal with that? And, and this is one of the things I love about the scriptures because this was written 3,000 years ago. And yet it applies to us and it applies to this, the, the human nature of us is that we either swing the pendulum to one side or the other. We stink as human beings operating in a sweet spot. Like we go to one extreme or the other. So on one extreme, we've got, okay, if we can't work and achieve because we're, you know, because we're, we're doing it out of envy, so should we just be lazy? And Solomon addresses that. He says, he says, I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless and a chasing after the wind. And then he says this, maybe. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. So he addresses both extremes. But before that, he says, when I look out and I see all that's going on, he said it's a chasing after a wind. And he says it's, it's meaningless. Now, I don't know if you, if you use the phrase chasing after the wind a lot. It's not something I use. But when I, when I read that phrase, the thing that comes to mind is, is a dog chasing its tail. Now, I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, I don't know if you've got dogs or, you, you know. But just in case, I, I, I brought some video evidence of this. I want you guys to, to check, check these dogs out. And, and I want you to embrace how silly this is. <laughs> this dog doesn't even have a tail. He's chasing a thumb. And this one, this one's great because it's slow motion and it, you see just how close he gets. Can you imagine how frustrating that is for a dog? He's gonna sneak up on it. Still missed it. He's going to go one more round. He's got to be getting dizzy. Mm. To live that life. And this last one, I think this dog is chasing its tail. <laughs> I don't know if he's chasing his tail, having a seizure, or scratching his bottom. But he is convinced that there's something bad there. Now, 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 now listen. Because I, 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 want, I want to bring this in to a fine point. We all laughed at that. And that's exactly the notion that Solomon is trying to make. The point that he's trying to make. The truth that he's trying to drive home. Is guys, just like chasing after the wind. And, and, and just like a dog chasing its tail and we laugh. Because I mean, that, that's what we look like. As humanity. And it not only is it a waste of time and it's meaningless, it's foolish and it's silly. And so he says, you know, not only do we, we not, you know, achieve things through envy, and, but we don't also, we, we don't fold our hands and just say, you know what, I'm just going to let go. So fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. And so he says this 
He says, better one hand with tranquility. So here's the third option. Option one is, is, is chasing after the wind, is seeking achievement rooted in envy, the comparison trap. Option two is swinging the pendulum the other way and, and going, you know what, I'm just going to fold my hands and let life happen, and, and that's, it is what it is. And then here's the third option. Better one hand with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. He says, better one handful with tranquility. Now, we need to unpack this word tranquility for a moment, okay? Because I don't know about you, but I don't use this word often. I don't come home on a Friday evening and go, wow, my day was just so tranquil. I don't, I don't, maybe you do. I don't know. You probably read Shakespeare all the time as well. But he says, so he says, better one handful of tranquility. So with tranquility, I want you to think about three words for us. The first word is contentment. It's this, this notion of, of being okay, but you know, it's really possible, it's possible to be, to be content, but to do it begrudgingly. If you have a child, you know this, when they keep wanting more, you say, you just need to be, be content, and they go, well, fine. Well, they are, but they're not satisfied. And so this word also includes satisfaction. Not only are you okay with, with what you have, but it actually satisfies you. It's enough, and those two things create this element of peace in our lives, that, that we don't have to enter into the rat race of the comparison trap. That we can have just one handful of tranquility instead of two handfuls of toil and achievement. I want to tell you a story. About two weeks ago, uh, I woke up, when I, I went through the days on a, on a Tuesday, and my jaw just started hurting really bad. I don't know, why, you know, I hadn't been in any bar fights lately. I don't know what caused it, but I've never been in a bar fight, but... Um, thought it might sound tougher um my, my, my and it still hurts actually my, my jaw started hurting so I went through the week and it hurt just enough to complain to everybody else but not really go to the doctor and um and and so uh we went through the week and then Saturday morning so a week from yesterday I wake up and I couldn't open my mouth and well, I could I could get like one finger width in my mouth. And I was like, okay, this is a problem. Now I've broken my jaw before. And so I, I know, like I, I've got a, a measurement for pain in, in reference to the jaw and it hurt. And so, uh, so I kind of laid around all day Saturday, tried not to talk a lot, took a lot of ibuprofen and Tylenol. And, um, and then Monday I ended up getting to go to the doctor and I go to the doctor and, and uh, I said, man, here's the progression of my week. And I said, you know, Friday night, I, my son had a baseball game, so I did a lot of talking. And, and for me, it was like a, a light bulb, and I was like, oh, the baseball game. You know, I, I'm not really a coach, but I, I still do the dad coaching thing. And, and so there's, like, there's a lot of yelling, and, and it, like yelling for communication purposes, not yelling at umpires, all right? If you do that, stop. It's unnecessary, and it doesn't matter. But anyway, so, so communicating to our kids, our players, and, and so I told that uh, to the doctor, and he's like, yeah, he said, you know, but you've been talking all week, and that's probably not what did it. And then he asked this question. He said, Gray, were you anxious? And I was like, you know what? I was. And I was anxious because uh, my son, Judah, he's seven, has, has just started uh, hitting off a pitching machine instead of someone throwing to him, and he, and he struggled a little bit with it. And so his confidence level has been down. And, you know, as a dad, like, I hate to see that because I see all of his potential and you know, just how God has blessed him. And, and I hate to see him down on himself. And so when he got up to bat that night, he, bat, he hit three times. Every time, dude, my, my, my jaws were clenched. And I was just like, come on, dude, just, just make contact. Like, anything that we can build off of, you know. And, and so that whole night, two hours of a game, like I, I, was, I was intense. 
And the doctor said, he said, that's what it was, man. He said, it's not so much that the, you've messed up the joint or something wrong with the joint in your jaw. He said, you have, you have exhausted the muscles. Whatever you did on the front end, you know, we're not sure about that yet. But, but no doubt that night, being anxious for your son to do well because you want to see his confidence level rise. He's like, that's absolutely why you woke up Saturday morning. And so this is what I want you to do. And this is how this applies to, to this scripture. I want, you to, I want you to close your eyes with me. Close your eyes, all our campuses. Take a deep breath. Now, for some of you, you probably needed that just getting your kids here to church. That's the first time you can just like, huh. Take your, take your one hand, just one hand, and I want you to open it. And just hold it there, maybe rest it on your leg so there's no tension in your arm. And take a deep breath again. And feel that for a second. Now, keep your eyes closed. I'm going to take your other hand, take both hands, and I want you to clench your fist so tight. And then I want you to grit your teeth and bite down so hard. And I want you to hold that, maybe 10, 15 seconds, just as tight as you can. And feel that. And that is the difference that Solomon is talking about. You can open your eyes. If your neighbor's eyes are still closed, wake them up. <laughs> One hand of tranquility versus two hands clenched, trying to hang on, trying to maintain, trying to measure up, trying to obtain more stuff without dropping the stuff that you got, that you have. And Solomon continues, and he says this, he said, again, I saw something meaningless under the sun. There was a man all along. He had neither son nor daughter, which is, means he had no one to leave his stuff to. And he continues, there was no end to his toil, yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. And he asked this question. He begins to have this epiphany. He says, for whom am I toiling, he asked. He's like, why am I doing all of this? And then he goes, they got nobody to leave it to. And then he says, and why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? And, and go back and think about this. If you've, got, if you've got two hands that you're trying to clench and hang on to, think about this. You can't share that stuff with anybody for risk of dropping it and because both hands are full. If I've got one hand of stuff, but that stuff is rooted in contentment, satisfaction, and peace. It's rooted in tranquility. I've got this other hand free that I can share and I can enjoy. And so Solomon paints this picture of, oh man, you can have all of this stuff and you can keep playing the comparison trap game and you can keep hanging on, but you can't enjoy it because the minute you enjoy it, you drop something. And the minute you drop something, you've got to get it back. And you get it back by comparing and getting the next best thing. And you step into this comparison trap that is a vicious cycle. And it is not how he has called us to live. One hand with tranquility. Now here's the thing. The one hand of tranquility, that is a spiritual issue. In fact, this is what I want you to do, because this is a two-week series. And we're going to talk about that next week. 
I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, hey, I'm going to be back next week because this is a spiritual issue. All right? Now, now that's all you need to say. Don't start a conversation about lunch. I'm not done yet. (laughs) Jeez. Now I'm going to make it awkward. Turn to the person you didn't turn to the first time. Your second choice, plan B. And tell them the same thing. It's a spiritual issue, so I'm going to be back next week. All right. It is an absolute spiritual issue, and we are going to absolutely unpack that next week. But this morning, the thing that I want to do, and the thing that I want to help you do, is identify whether or not you are stuck in a comparison, comparison trap, whether or not you are, you are on a rat race of trying to get more. And so I'm going to ask you about seven questions, and, and, and just think about these to yourself. Here's the first question. Who are you trying to keep up with? Is it a neighbor? Is it, is, is it a boss? Is, is it a sibling? Is it your in-laws? Who, who is it in your life that you feel the need to compare yourself to to see how you measure up? Now, to help you answer that question, here's number two. What debt do you have because of the comparison trap? Do you own a car or any kind of stuff? Let's just call it stuff, trinkets and toys that you couldn't afford, but because you were comparing yourself to what someone else had, you bit off more than you can chew. Question number three. Are you allowing what others have to keep you from enjoying what God has blessed you with? And then when I read that question, I can't, I can't articulate how offensive that must be to God. Again, as a dad, as a parent, I, 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 I can see that in our children as they grow up and they're kind of learn that, you know, they, they, they're, they're selfish. We're trying to teach them to be selfless and, and, and how you can gift them something. Maybe it's, you know, Christmas and then like the next week they see something else and you just want to be like, are you kidding me? You know, what do you, did you forget what we got for Christmas? And, and I think about that on the level of God with us, who his desire is to give us good things. Are you allowing what others have to keep you, from what, keep you from enjoying what God has blessed you with? Number four, do, in, do you enjoy your kids or do you burden them with unrealistic expectations because of what everybody else's kids are doing and accomplishing? Dads, do you enjoy your sons or are you comparing them to someone else's sons? And moms, you can do the same thing. But I just know as a dad, I feel that calling of the comparison trap. Number five, does your spouse feel like he or she doesn't measure up because of your propensity to compare to another's spouse? Does your spouse feel like he or she doesn't measure up because of your propensity to compare to another spouse? Let me just tell you, in all of these questions, but especially in that one, there is no win in comparison. Number six, 
Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail relationally, financially, or professionally? Who would you secretly enjoy seeing fail? And that's a tough one because most of us like to think that's not in us. But man, if we get stuck in the trap and we feel inferior, it is our go-to because we need to feel better than the person that has the bigger er than us. And then number seven, and this is where we're gonna pick up next week with this question. Who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me I am okay? This is the spiritual question. Who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that I'm okay, to tell me that I have dignity, to tell me that I have significance, to tell me that I have value, to tell me that I have worth? To, how about this? Who or what am I going to use as my reference point to tell me that, that my spouse or my children are, are okay, that they are as God intended? It is an absolutely spiritual thing the comparison trap, to get to a place where we can live with tranquility, we're going to have to do some spiritual work. And I do want you to come back next week because this is just half of the equation. But if anything, leave here. Begin to do an inventory using those questions of where you may have fallen into the trap or may you feel, maybe you feel you're being led into the trap and at the very least, those questions can be red flags to keep you from the trap. But leave here knowing there is no win in comparison. Let me pray for us. Father God, I thank you that you haven't left us to our own devices on this planet. When I look at the, the prevalence of the comparison trap in my life and others' lives, Father, help us to learn from Solomon. Help us to do the hard work to learn what it means to live with, with one hand open, full of tranquility, then two hands clenched tight, trying to hang on and trying to obtain more stuff at the same time. Father, I pray that you would give us the courage to ask those questions. Give us the courage to, to sit in the answers that we come up with. And God, give us the courage and the boldness to begin to dig into the spiritual component of the comparison trap. God, you have called us to live victorious lives. You have called us to live free lives. And to do that, we have to remove ourselves from the comparison trap. Father, we love you. God, I thank you for your wisdom that you're able to, to lead us and guide us. And I thank you for our church family, and I thank you for all of our campuses. And we pray these things in your perfect son's name. Amen. Hey, guys, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for all the other campuses. And uh, we'll see you back next week, okay?